This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a show that's devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, ashamed, or just really uncomfortable. And yet they're subjects that we have a lot of feelings about. Tonight we're going to be talking about sexual gridlock within long-term heterosexual relationships. My guest is Dr. Ron Feintech. And Dr. Feintech is a clinical psychologist and a certified sex therapist here in Portland, Maine. He's been in practice for 45 years. He's married. He has a grown daughter and two stepsons, three grandkids, and a wonderful dog who works in the office with him. Welcome to Safe Space, Ron. Thank you, Anne. I want to ask you, uh, so you work as a sex therapist here in Maine, and what is the most common clinical situation that people come to you with in your office? Um, it's probably split between gridlock, just being frozen, stuck as a, as a couple, and the most common male issue, I think, is anxiety, sometimes manifesting as performance anxiety, other times manifesting as erectile issues, sometimes manifesting as difficulties with ejaculation, sometimes just kind of manifesting as just a low quality of sexual experience. So that second issue we may get to today, and yeah. we may have to have you back. Because <laughs> yeah. for today I want to focus on gridlock. So tell me what you mean. What is sexual gridlock? Well, it, it's a surprisingly common, almost developmentally normal state that married couples get to that in some ways they almost have to get to. It's very painful when it happens, very frustrating for both the men and the women. And it, 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 uh, it, it, means just what it sounds like, that you're just locked down. You can't move forward. Um, gridlock, I tend to think yeah. now of a political, bipartisan gridlock right, in right. Washington. It, well, it's very similar to that. <clears throat> you're just stuck and you can't move. And I think of gridlock also as involving, you know, lack of trust of each other's motives. And that often accompanies it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's a kind of stuckness to it. Yeah. And, um, Give me a, give me more of a feel for that. Does that mean like we're always doing the same thing and we're both bored of it? Or does that well, mean that, that's we're avoiding a, it? We're not even having sex anymore because... There's different stages of it. Okay, what uh, are the stages? Well, let's take it all the way back to the honeymoon period. You're in love. You've got lots of endorphins flowing. You've got lots of phenylalanine in your brain and you're higher than a kite. You're rapidly in love and uh, you have a lot of good sex. Uh, being in love is an aphrodisiac, and we put on our best performances for our partners. We show them our best. We bring our best to it, and it's wonderful. And it lasts about 18 months, if you're lucky. And the honeymoon is over. Okay. And real life sets in. Uh, and you, there's less of an opportunity for the face-to-face -face relational function, and you're more side-by-side -side doing life's tasks, uh, working, raising kids, uh, the honeymoon gets over. Uh, the honeymoon is the stage of, uh, of love without knowledge. <laughs> and, and then you move into the stage of knowledge without love. I see. <laughs> and Hopefully you move into love with knowledge eventually. Uh, it, it, if, you go, if you get through the valley of the shadow of death, you eventually get to that. I see. But it's, it's a, um, the place where you're going is a whole different experience than that initial high that you get in. Uh, there, there's an infinite amount of difference between the fun and games of courtship and the soul mating of marriage. 
Okay, so there you are. You're eight. You're past your 18 month. You're into the stage you called knowledge without love, which sounds painful. Yeah. And does gridlock come in that quickly, or does that take more time to? Come? Uh, it often takes more time to develop because you're still having lots of good sex, uh, it, or you're still having sex. But what what subtly begins to happen is that you begin having what David Snarsh, my mentor, calls uh, uh, leftover sex. And what he means by that is that you don't do anything that she finds upsetting, and you don't do anything that's upsetting to him, and you do whatever is left over. So sort of the more bland, safe middle ground. It, it gets to be safe, and people have, uh, have sex to the limits of their capacity for intimacy. Say what you mean by that. Uh, that often sex, uh, sexual positions like the, the, the missionary position are actually designed to limit intimacy because you're not able to look at your partner. It's not face-to-face. Uh, but in any event, difficulties begin to develop outside the relationship. They invariably penetrate into the bedroom. And you're not doing anything that she finds upsetting or that he finds upsetting. You're doing whatever's left. You're doing whatever is consensual, whatever is safe. And you're doing it over and over and over again till it becomes the state of holy monotony. Right. Things begin to get scripted. Things begin to get mechanical. And there's sex going on, but nobody is truly present. And often you're able to even to have an orgasm. Uh, there's the sexually dysfunctional, the sexually functional, and the blessed few. <laughs> I see. And the blessed few, how would you characterize them? Uh, I'm still working on it. I see. In other words, they're beyond functional. They're the ones uh, who Beyond really... functional, that, that, that are really grown themselves up to the point where they're capable of uh, eroticism's outer limits and love's outer limits. Uh, with the, those two kind of kind of joined as one. One of the things that feels important in what you're saying is that I think so many people imagine mm-hmm. that everyone else is having better sex than they are. Everyone imagines everyone else is having better sex. Yeah, and so when you true. say the blessed few, there's a little bit of a reality check there. In fact, those people who sustain an erotic, mm-hmm. intimate sexual life are actually few. It isn't uh, everybody else but that's, me. That's my sense of it, although I never can tell because most of the people that come into my office are people who are stuck in one way or another. Right, so you get a very skewed sample. I get a skewed sample. Right. But the, the, all the research is that that, um, that uh, sex is one of the, the, the real difficulties that men and women have in a sustained relationship. It's relatively easy when you don't care about your partner. But when you begin to care about your partner, to begin to care what they think, uh, when they begin to matter to you, uh, that's when the issues begin to emerge. So you said at the beginning that gridlock is almost developmentally normal. It's almost Mm -hmm. like destined to happen. And how come? What are the factors that make that so? Uh, There seems to be a developmental sequence that almost all couples go through. I see. This is what like what you were talking about with the honeymoon and so on. Yeah, I yeah. see. But you mentioned and, and to me before something about how men and women are socialized and how that developmental process also feeds yeah. gridlock. I wonder if you could tell well, me more it, about that. Another of my teachers, Terry Real, is fond of saying that the way that men are socialized and the way that women are socialized guarantees a train wreck. A train wreck. And the train wreck often happens in the bedroom. 
Okay, so say more what he means by that. Well, the female part of that is that women are socialized to give up self for other. And they learn that by the time they get to be teenagers. Uh, So very often there's a submersion of the authentic self. A woman loses her authentic voice. Uh, Although there's all kinds of cultural shifts going on now that make that less true now than it was uh, a couple of decades ago even. Women are finding their voices. Uh, Men aren't always liking to hear them, uh, but women are finding their voices in increasing numbers, and that's an important part of getting through gridlock. The pattern that I often see is that the woman will uh, try to accommodate the man, and she will have sex not because she desires it, but out of fear that if she doesn't give it to him, he's going to pout for three days, or that for for him because he's a man and they need it, you know, or out of mercy uh, because uh, he he seems to need it, he seems to want it. So she will find herself saying yes, but for the wrong reasons. She will be caving and giving up self for other pleasing. And the so let's just keep ourselves with mm-hmm. her position now for a moment. So there she is. She loves her husband. She loves him, She yes. doesn't desire sex in that moment. Yes. What is she to do? What is the alternative to caving? Yeah. Well, th- there's a delicate balance there uh, because very often if you can get yourself off the launching pad as a woman, you can have a very beautiful experience. Uh, but I think the thing, the trick for women is to set boundaries and say no to something that's happening that they don't want in a loving way and to also ask for what they do want. Uh, there's a tremendous difference in pacing that you see between men and women. And, and let me take it just a short side trip here to talk about generalities. Uh, Because almost anything that you can say about male sexuality, you can also say it's opposite, and you'd be right. And anything you can say about female sexuality, you can say it's opposite, and you you can be right. So we want to be careful of overgeneralizing, but at the same time, if we don't generalize, we can't really say anything. And and, and you do, as, as a clinician that sees couple after couple after couple presenting with the same kinds of issues, you do begin to get a sense of things. Right, that makes sense. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Dr. Ryan, Ron Feintech about sexual gridlock in long-term yeah. heterosexual relationships. Um, so I want to ask you now kind of from, about the men's mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Um, so... What, what, is the, what is the pattern within gridlock for the man? Okay. Um, let me pick up the thread of where I was, um, getting to a generalization. Yeah. That men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Okay. What do you mean? Uh, that very often uh, a woman's sexual response is slower in pacing. She prefers a slower pacing. Uh, and very often the masculine gets way ahead of her. Uh, particularly in, say, grabbing her crotch long before she's ready, before he's kissed her enough, before there's enough connection for her. And another one of the generalities that I think holds true is that, by and large, uh, women don't respond genitally until and unless they have a heart connection. They feel a man's presence. They feel her, uh, 
his heart. And we're talking now particularly long-term relationships because I think it's different in short-term relationships. I think it's much more likely that a woman will respond purely genitally, purely sexually uh, in a one-night stand than she will in a long-term relationship where there's kids and family responsibilities and, and, and so forth. Exhaustion and other details. Exhaustion. So <laughs> yes. th- there is a process um, that men find, I think, generally frustrating with women uh, that, from the male point of view, he wants to have sex with his woman the way he does it with his fantasy images on the Internet. As uh, in quickly. As in quickly. And very often men learn about sexuality from websites and from the Internet and from porn. Uh, and it, it bears very little resemblance to making love with a real live woman in the real world. And it's often much quicker and easier uh, than making love with a real live woman, which explains the male proclivity towards, uh, towards getting off on the net. Uh, and, and I'm not making any judgments here. I'm just saying that that's... It's quicker and easier. It's quicker and easier. But with a real live woman, you have to show up. You have to be present. You have to... Uh, things have to be right. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that women in long-term relationships, particularly menopausal or postmenopausal women, require an on-ramp to the superhighway of sexuality. They can't just hop right on. And, and so if you were working with a man who wanted to help his partner get onto the on-ramp, what would be your advice to him? How can he help her get there? Um, wash the dishes. <laughs> vacuum the rug. Uh, put the kids in bed. Right, and you're not joking either. I'm not joking. I'm washing the dishes is one of the best forms of foreplay around. It, uh, it's very helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. And and recognize that she may need a walk, she may need to talk, she may need a connection, she may need sharing, she may need laughter, she may need to feel that they're in a partnership and that he's a full-fledged partner in the relationship, not just in bed but out of bed. And is there an equivalent of aging process for men where they need an on-ramp too? Uh, Yes, and, and, that, and here's where it gets a little complicated, because at, at lower levels of what I'm going to call differentiation, I'll explain that in a minute because it's a technical term, but it, it, it's kind of think of, that, think of that as adult development. At lower maturity. levels, maturity, at lower levels of adult maturity that we're going to call differentiation, um, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. At, at the higher levels of maturity, we're, both, we're all from the same planet. And what we want during sex is exactly the same thing. We want profound connection. We want intimacy. We want passion. We want joy. And men and women are not that different in that regard. But it's often hard getting in sync. Right. And so then for, um, for the man, for instance, as men age and erectile response may be slower in coming, um, do you feel, <clears throat> like, is that the equivalent of an on-ramp for men? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, it, it's the manifestation of the tremendous pressure that males feel under to, the word is perform, 
So tell me about that, because that feels really important. Well, if you're a guy, it, it's it's kind of bred into you. The whole thing with sports, with being a captain of industry, with being a breadwinner, being the best. Uh, sex becomes something competitive. Competitive with other men, competitive within oneself. And this whole notion of performance comes in, which is very antithetical to what I try to teach couples during lovemaking. Forget about performing. When you perform, you're on stage, kind of like we are now, performing for our audience. There's a slight edge of anxiety, you know, that we're going to get uh, rotten tomatoes uh, if we don't uh, perform well enough. And there's a, an irreducible level of anxiety whenever you're in that mindset. And if you're bringing that mindset to the bedroom, you're going to have anxiety. If you fear losing your erection, that very fear creates... Uh, Increases the likelihood it, it will increases happen. Increases the likelihood, uh, and, and particularly if you're not secure within yourself. Yeah. Particularly if you're not solid, and particularly if you're uh, looking to your penis to prove to you that, and to her that you're a man. And if you're making that linkage uh, as you age, you are going to become more vulnerable. I've heard it said that masculinity is something that always has to be proved. Unfortunately. And that, so yeah. that even yeah. just being masculine is a form of performance. Yes. And the, the uh, antitheticalness of that toward intimacy, which is, has to be about authenticity. Authenticity and presence. And anxiety is the enemy of presence. And uh, when a man or, and a woman are together and they're looking at each other's eyes and they're having fun and they're in connection and it's great and, and all of a sudden he, he's with her and all of a sudden he has the thought, oh my God, what if I lose my erection? At that moment he's tuned into his thought and then he becomes tuned into anxi his anxiety and he leaves her. He breaks the connection between her. And she feels it. She feels it. She's going to be upset with him. He's going to feel that energy. And the whole energy vortex that was created during their lovemaking kind of collapses. It's so fascinating. So thinking back again to Gridlock where we started. Mm -hmm. So the man comes into the, the relationship with all this pressure to perform. Yes. And to prove himself. Yeah. Which generates anxiety, which takes him out of presence. Yes. The woman needs presence to sort of open her heart to base for general. You're saying... In a way, the heart-to-heart yes. -heart connection is the ingredient that helps her respond generally. That's correct. So then she experienced the cutoff or the lack of presence, but probably makes a meaning of that other than, oh, he's anxious about performance. She may tell herself that he's not, he just wants sex, he doesn't really care about me, or she tells yes. herself yes. something about this. he just wants this. my body parts. Yes, that actually then closes her heart. Then she closes her heart. So then we have this. Then we have gridlock. There, 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 all the ingredients are right there. Exactly, exactly. Yes, and it, you know it's so striking because that idea that it may be his anxiety that he is the reason for him not being present. You know, it's pain. That feels like a painfully new thought. Extremely painful. And here's another piece that we don't often look at too: a man and a woman in bed, or, or two men or two women, I don't want to be heterosexist here, um, are, form an energy system, okay? And if that couple is emotionally fused, as opposed to differentiated, there's that word again, uh, if they're fused, that means that the anxiety may originate in her. 
So, for example, they're going at it, they're having a great time, it's wonderful. She may have the thought, uh, that's, what if that son of a bitch loses his erection again and leaves me stranded and leaves me without having an orgasm the way he did last time? Okay, she's going to have that thought. Her sexual energy is going to drop. She's going to disconnect emotionally from him. He's going to feel it. He's going to feel the drop in energy. That's going to trigger his anxiety. He's going to be infected by her anxiety. Right, so anxiety is contagious by its anxiety very nature. Anxiety is contagious in a fused system. So in a differentiated system, and I'm just going to pause here and say this is mm -hmm. WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. I'm talking to Dr. Ryan fine, Ron Feintech about sexuality, but in particular about how long-term couples can get into a, a gridlock around their sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, so coming back to that, how is it that anxiety is not contagious if they're differentiated? What, what does that okay. look like? Well, well, uh, for, for much more information on that, Dave Snarsh's CDs, Secrets of a Passionate Marriage, is wonderful. He lays it out. He's a master teacher. But very briefly, uh, differentiation means that you're able to hold on to yourself, that you have a mature, strong, developed sense of self, uh, as opposed to not being too sure who you are. So it's very, very common for people in their 20s to be uh, physically developed, physically mature, but still fairly low in that scale of differentiation because they don't know who they are yet. And a young man doesn't want you looking in his eyes because he doesn't want you to know who he is before he knows. Mm. Uh, or he's afraid what you'll see. So right? you may get genital prime. You may get a lot of high-level testosterone. But you're not going to get a sense of presence that comes out of a man in his 40s, 50s, or 60s who's beginning to find out who he is. All right, so David Schnarch, your mentor that you've mentioned, he's famous for saying that actually sex gets better as you get older. It gets better because your capacity to be present and emotionally involved gets better because you know who you are and you don't have to prove it by having a rock-hard penis. Right. It's so wonderful, you know, that, that story is not told much. I mean, there's such the idea that sex is best, you know, in your early 20s, and yeah. it's all downhill from then on. Yeah. Right. And is it is it equally true for the woman that she also knows herself more? Absolutely, because when she's young, uh, she's uh, afraid that he's not going to respect her in the morning. And she hasn't yet found her her, her fully developed, mature sexuality her her heart and her genitals are not wired up on the same circuit and she lives mostly more in her heart and she's afraid that if her genitals are involved that she'll be viewed as a slaughter i mean is that and, what you mean yeah, that's that's part of it um but a woman in her 40s and 50s will turn you every way but loose because she's not worried about that she is solid in her identity. She's, she's not worried. She's enough years out of middle school that she's really recovered exactly. from that. And she's not worried about the nuns disapproving or her mother disapproving. Uh, and she's willing to, to cut loose. And, oh. she's, uh, uh, and very often, an, another pattern that I see is that women hold themselves back for fear of blowing their men out of the water. There's Say more about that, because that's well, certainly against the cultural stereotype. There is no force in nature more terrifying to the masculine than full, un unleashed, unvarnished, fully passionate female sexual energy. Now is, say more is, about that. Why is that it's so? A, it's a force of, of nature. It is, uh, I am in awe of it. Well, for starters, you guys can have it 20, 
orgasms in a row. I can't even dream of that. Um, it is interesting to me. I mean, there's so much control over women's sexuality in exactly, cultures all over the exactly. world. It, by definition, it has to be feared or there wouldn't be so much attempt to control it. Exactly. I, th I think that's an excellent point. And every society attempts to control it because of its, uh, its awesome power. The goddess, the Aphrodite, uh, if you, once you unleash the goddess, you have a force to be reckoned with. And so as the man matures and becomes more differentiated, he's less threatened by that. He's less threatened by that, and he can meet her. Yeah, he can join with her. He it. can join with her in a kind of passion that, that feels very, very different from 19-year-old uh, testosterone-driven passion. So that's a great and message much, to give kids is don't, it's going to get better. It's going to get better <laughs> because it, it has the potential of being much more spiritual, much more heart-centered, much more transcendental and uh, touching deeper levels of our souls. So we, we only have a few more minutes, and I want to ask you about the shift. So we, moving from gridlock to the kind of sex you're describing, Yes. What? how would you distill, you know, whether it's David Schnarch's Secrets of a Passionate Marriage or Dr. Ron Feintech's years of experience, mm -hmm. what are the things that you think really are helpful for couples to know that can take them yeah. out of that? Yeah. Um, Add a soundtrack to your lovemaking, uh, preferably a high-quality soundtrack. What does uh, that mean? Talking to each other more or playing talking music? To, talking to each other more uh, from the heart. Uh, when I, schmaltz, high-quality schmaltz. When I look at you, you're so beautiful, and, and your breasts are so beautiful in the moonlight. and Just verbalizing, and it keeps you in touch with your partner, keeps the energy flowing. Sounds, sounds of pleasure. Uh, reflecting the pleasure that you're feeling, adding a soundtrack, taking the time to really lay the foundation, beginning from a place of loving connection, and then building from there. Not being linear. Uh, what does that mean? Well, there's a, a kind of a programmed sequence of six where you kiss, 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 rub, 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 jump, jump, jump orgasm. You know, it's all programmed. <laughs> it's all linear. It's the same. I've never time. heard it quite put that way, but go Very, on. Wander around. Uh, stop in the middle and eat some grapes. Uh, talk, laugh, giggle. Uh, if you lose your erection, let it go. It'll be back. Um, there's uh, such this, the, the, abandon this, this linear pressure. I see, right. Goal-oriented sex. Uh, Goal-oriented sex. Performance-oriented sex. Uh, make it heart-centered. Uh, to the masculine, to learn the art and science of showing up with presence and with, uh, with your strong masculine. I think it's what women want. Yeah, say more. Can you say one more thing about that? What does it mean to show up with your strong masculine? Well, for one thing, it means presence. Uh, it means touching, the same touch, t touching a breast, for example, can convey... Uh, is it okay if I touch you? Is it all right? You're not going to be upset with I me see, if I don't do it I see apologetic right. asking permissionness, yeah, and, hesitancy. And, and, and that can manifest energetically, and the woman can feel it, can sense it. And if she gets the smell of that, she's, forget it, you're done. Uh, but you can't fake it either. <laughs> it's a catch-22. You've got to be confident, but to be confident, you actually have to be confident. You actually have to be confident. Yeah, which means that you have to uh, be solid within yourself and, and trust yourself and trust her. And touch the breast in a way that says, hey, that's beautiful. I know what I'm doing here. 
It's wonderful. We're going to end on that note. Dr. Ron Feintech, thank you so much for being my guest. I want to ask, how can people find you if somebody would like to pursue learning mm-hmm. more from you? What's, what's your work address? What's your, what's your website? Yeah. Uh, the Couples Center. Uh, and uh, our website is thecouplescentermain.com. But if you Google the Couples Center or Google sex therapist, uh, Portland, sex therapy, marital therapy, um, you can find me. Wonderful. And then maybe some resources for people. Are there a couple of books or CDs that you want to really recommend? Uh, highly recommended would be David Snarsh's Secrets of a Passionate Marriage, a two-CD set. Wonderful. Uh, Terry Reels, The New Rules of Marriage. Okay. Uh, and David Data. David Data's book, uh, um, The Way of the Passion, The Way of the Superior Man. Data is spelled D E I D I D A. Wonderful. David Data, Way of the Superior Man. Ron, thank you so much. Great. It's been wonderful having you. This is Dr. Ann at Safe Space. Been talking to Dr. Ron Feintech about sexual gridlock in long term heterosexual relationships. Uh, Next week, we're going to be continuing our series on male sexuality. I'm going to be talking to Susan Ramsey about male pelvic floor difficulties, particularly after prostate surgery. If you have a request or a suggestion for a future show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. And this program is brought to you with listener donations and an underwriting grant from The Sunrise Guide. 